0: I'm I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb and you're in the transporter room and for the second week in a row we are blessed to have someone from Star Trek beaming up to our podcast in a few minutes one of the stars of season three beams up but first let's just chat Carly you've had two big stories this week that are not exactly trans positive
1: well, I think one of them, one of them definitely isn't, but one of them definitely is.
0: Okay. The first,
1: to me is, for a lot of reasons. First off, it's 2021, or as I like to call it, 2020.5. <laughs> and, and you know what, we're in the middle. We just saw the U.S. Capitol ransacked by people who still believe that the Confederate States of America should have been a country. We are seeing a coronavirus pandemic in this country, which so, shows no signs of slowing. For all of you who claim not to know, the United States is the worst coronavirus response in the industrialized world right now. So you figure we'd start attacking that in, 20, in the 21. Instead, we have at least we have states that are already lining up rather than dealing with the coronavirus crisis. They want to pass anti. They want to pass laws that discriminate against trans people, and the first of those laws was scheduled to have a hearing. Hearing on Wednesday, it's being pushed back to next week. It's two bills in Montana. One to ban trans student athletes from participating in interscholastic and intercollegiate athletics, and the other one, which is even more in, insidious to me, they are they. There's a law that's being put forth that would criminalize affirming health care for transgender youth. They're talking about fining doctors and endocrinologists from a range of $500 to $50,000 just for providing affirming care.
0: It's not enough. They have to go after trans kids. Now they're going after our doctors too. And oh, don't no. forget, this is not just Montana, right?
1: Oh, no. Mont- I mean, there's a whole host of states. Um, Chase Strangio from the from the ACLU was quoted in the story And he's projecting that up to 15 states in this coming legislative session will will see these bills put forth either in committees or in the full floor of their respective legislative bodies that but one thing we're seeing on the other side is. People are already ramping up. For example, in Montana, there's a coalition of dozens of organizations that have already ramped up and they're already getting the word out. And you're also seeing this across the spectrum. One law I do want to point out, because Chase Hmm. pointed this out in his Twitter, is you want to hear a wild law? It's bad enough that they're going after minors, but now they're going after people who, in most states, would be considered adults. In Mississippi, they're putting together a law saying that no one under 21. Shall be allowed any type of g- gender affirming
0: cross hormone treatment, yeah. And yes. then of course, and then of course, you have you know the flip side, which is we're getting a new administration, we're having a new education secretary, new health secretary. So at least at the federal level, we're going to get some relief. But across the states, and mostly in the Rocky Mountains in the South, we are still battling this, uh, you know, state to state. And what's the other big development? Uh, you know, USA powerlifting, right?
1: Well USA powerlifting will now be a, a JC Cooper to USA powerlifting C in court
0: because <laughs> uh, they want to create a separate a separate but unequal category as you wrote a couple of months ago uh, for folks who are uh, gender nonconforming or transgender because they won't let them uh, lift with uh, women lifters is that right that,
1: that is exactly correct the, the new MX category which the original the original um developers of this concept actually still allowed within the U- the LGBTQ powerlifting union in the United Kingdom they still they they still go by the IOC weight guidelines even with this even with this new category concept but USAPL is going to hold on to their to their transphobic policies like they're going to hold on like Linus with his blanket so jc <laughs> cooper is going to ram is going to Ramsey County court in the Twin Cities and saying fine you want to hang on to this i mean her in in ally with her representation and gender justice up in the Twin Cities they're just saying fine we'll see you in court and to me that's a very to me that's a positive i think that's a positive because jc's been fighting this for a long time and and it's good to see on proud trans athlete going going flag to flag with this and it's good to see cisgender allies getting on board and it's good to see gender justice created a video at this prep for this press conference where they were able to get some they were able to get some heavy hitters involved. Supporting J.C. out in the open. Chris Mosier's in it. Johnny Stanton from the Cleveland Browns is in it. Chris Cluey, the former NFL punter, he's in it. And USA Women's Soccer National Team member Lori Lindsey is a part of it. It's That's good great. to see these voices in major league sport. Mm-hmm. Cisgender voices in major league sport. And uh, not, or at least the three, obviously, Chris being transgender, but Chris being in many ways the godfather of the fight in a lot oh, he's an
0: icon yeah and oh, also yeah. megan Rapino has previously stood up for uh, jc and a lot yeah. of other athletes i what i'm what i'm looking forward to is having these people finally eat crow sooner or later it's going to come to pass that they're all going to lose i don't know how long it's going to take but they are going to lose they're on the wrong side of history
1: yeah well you know something that's the song that i have been playing a lot some good old Woody, Gut- some good old Woody Guthrie, and of course, and and the Billy Bragg version. Many years later, these fascists are bound to lose, and that's wow. been the thing that has been. That's the thing that's been keeping me, keeping me upright, and keeping me from just completely losing it. Especially since what happened one week ago today.
0: Yeah, I and know. And
1: seeing what we saw, that is what's giving me hope. And we're and we're at a time of hope. Martin Luther King Day is coming.
0: That same week, the inauguration of the new administration is coming. Mm-hmm. The, the, a, the a minister, the minister who uh, uh, preached at Martin Luther King's church, good, yeah. coming. U.S. Senator Warnock, right? Warnock, so yes. Senator, uh, but Senator-elect Warnock
1: coming in. Asif. Yes, John Asif coming in. Uh, and it's something I heard a few nights ago, like a couple nights ago, what was that, that what we're seeing, what we're seeing in a sense, is a battle between an old America, an old America that's dying, and a new America being born.
0: An old and white America. That, <laughs> an but, old yeah, white yeah, America. Yeah, we can, yeah, we can yeah. say that,
1: but but you know what? But I'm a believer in the concept of the Freedom Charter of the ANC during apartheid in South Africa. The first line of the Freedom Charter reads as follows. South Africa belongs to all those who live in it, white and black. I feel the same way about the United States. This nation belongs to each of us who want to be a part of a a flourishing, proud, growing, multiracial democracy. And those those are the the, stakes. That's the stakes here.
0: Look at what Roddenberry said about Star Trek, infinite diversity and infinite combinations. That's what we believe, right? We believe in inclusion. We believe in a better world. And that's what always surprises me when um, conservative Trek fans complain about, oh, another woman on the show, or or, why is that black person in charge? Oh, my God. You know, it's
1: like you're not paying attention. Yeah, and I know. And I say, do you even Trek, brah?
0: <laughs> you've been, you've
1: been track.
0: I know somebody who treks. They've been <laughs> trekking for almost their entire lives thanks to their mom. And I am pleased if we would please set coordinates for Toronto, Canada, for Noah, Averback Katz, who played Rin on Star Trek
2: Discovery, beam on up. <laughs> Here we go. Oh, my God. What a smooth beam in. Thank you both so much for having me. There's no such bad. thing. What? Why do you I feel, feel bad? bad?
0: Because they got rid of the transporter room. They just go beep, beep now, and they can go anywhere they want. It's like still the there. No, room. it's still
2: there. The transporter room is still there. I will remind you when the Navarre beamed to the ship, they beamed to the transporter. It's more of like a meet and greet room now. You know, you put some more durves <laughs> out, you grab a grape, and then you head into the ready room.
1: Well,
0: Hi, no, I, saw to the the project, and I
2: couldn't understand why. I was like, they could have just been right to the bridge and well, whatever. I guess it doesn't That's matter. So it's gauche, though. You know, it's like you got to have some some protocol, some manners. You know, it's it's nothing without its protocol. I was a little worried that beaming like Linus did all over the ship would
0: mean that we wouldn't have those wonderful walks through the hallways that Jonathan Frakes <laughs> uh, shot so beautifully. And I really think he's like the master at that being from the next generation that he really understands what has to happen in a walk.
2: Yes, you know, he really is the Aaron Sorkin of Star Trek, but without all the bad stuff
0: <laughs> right. so for so for folks who don't know the story, let's just make sure we get it all out of the way. Noah is an actor. He went to Juilliard. He auditioned for different parts in Star Trek Discovery and was finally awarded the part of Wren, the Andorian, which you played beautifully, and then was blown to bits. <laughs> <laughs> in, two episodes, in in his third appearance and then what a lot of people don't seem to know my co-host partner included is that you're married to another star of star trek discovery anson mount no um no wait no it's <laughs> no it's
2: uh saru no you're oh, listing off on. all of my all of my second and third uh choices. Yeah. But oh, no. Come on. I <laughs> I have
0: is your beautiful wife and you've That's been married true. now.
2: How many years is it? We're going on 2. So so far Woo. so good. Yeah. Really. still. Exactly. But we we uh had started dating back at Juilliard. So we've been together closer to 7 years now. Um yeah. So, uh, yeah, you know, Anson and uh, Doug Jones are very jealous of me, but that's their problem, not mine. <laughs> they they missed out. What can I say? They Mary right. got
0: there first. And and another right. another little detail that I love is that you're part of a trifecta of Juilliard grads on the show. Mary Chifo, who I also love is also
2: one of the three people who you went to school with, right? Yes, so we all three of us were in the same class at Juilliard. Um so Mary, both Mary's were on the show at the same time, and we were like all hanging out together. and in those early days up in Toronto trying to figure out what was going on and how this all worked, you know, Chifo was there and we were all hanging out. Um, And then we've, you know, I'm I'm actually like really looking forward to getting to go to conventions so that the three of us can kind of reconnect and hang out. And yeah, I love Chifo so much and I'm really excited to get to see her and I'm just so excited to kind of be part of this little Juilliard Trek uh, uh, trifecta. It's very, very exciting for me.
1: Walk me through what it was like. Walk me through the, your Juilliard experience. <laughs> how did oh you get from, how did you get from Juilliard to Star Trek? And while we're at it, you've been around some you've trekked for a long time.
2: <laughs> well you ever, been, you've, been in, you've been you've been theater there? on the road, right? You did a lot of theater on the road. Yes, you know, I I was doing a lot of theater in New York, outside New York after I graduated. I think the way to get from Juilliard to Star Trek is to um, marry up and then ride the coattails all the way there. That's sort of my (laughs) game plan. Uh, it, it, you know, uh, Ju- Juilliard was interesting. It was, um, it had its ups and downs. Um, I'm happy to be out of it and uh, happy to never return, but you know, good for them. Um, <laughs> but you know, I can't complain because I, I met two of my favorite Marys there, uh, you know, without, you know, ranking them, you know, I, they're, they're two of my favorites. So I got to meet them there and, uh you know i've I've been into Star Trek my entire life. you know my mom was a huge trekkie, and she kind of got me into everything you know there was like kind of two rules in my house of of things that I couldn't become you know very you know very prescriptive, not what you would expect from kind of a liberal left coast family. but the two rules were you have to be a Star Trek fan and you can't be a Republican. You can do anything else that's it you're good to go so uh uh we had star trek on in the house all the time i grew up watching enterprise kind of going week weekend to weekend with enterprise so that's sort of my um that's sort of my kind of favorite trek because it's the one that i associate with like you know being that kid running home to watch it on monday nights on upn uh and went to conventions with my mom uh and then you know in college and grad school wasn't able to like follow along so much because i was busy there aren't as many star trek conventions in new york um i did buy a really crappy like vcr tv combo that i put in our dressing room and only bought star trek on and just made everybody in the dressing room watch star trek with me uh but then i was you know it just sort of was there and just sort of dormant and um then Mary sort of did a very very casual taped audition for Star Trek, which I read with her for, um, and uh, consulted on her uh, her choice of costume, <laughs> which was so funny. Just, yeah, the way Don, she described
0: it was that she was going to wear some sort of bourgeois puffy holy thing that just
2: sort of looked like Mary but wasn't Star Trek. It was so funny, Don, because in the when you talked to her in the article that you wrote. Uh, you know, basically, she she had to do a slate, which was like you do a full body shot so they can just kind of see how tall you are. And she came in wearing a very loose, flowery dress. And the way I tell the story, I was like, you know, I would I never would ever say this. But like, sweetie, you know, I love you so much. But I just think that like just changing the costume giving a little bit more shoulder definition would just make a huge difference a little bit more military you know and the way that mary tells the story was that she walked in and i said no absolutely not leave and come back with shoulder pads <laughs> <laughs>
1: you're the enforcer not, yes not shoulder but not shoulder pads
2: this you is not a square shoulder from this
1: the, is from not the- this is not. This is Star Trek. It's not Dynasty.
0: Well, you know, Star Trek Two. Star Trek Two. The military uniforms. You know, they were very, very firm and
2: crisp. You know, the I, red uniforms. I and, wanted. It, you know, it was about. It was about really making sure that she got the idea across that it was like, uh, uh, you know, like yeah. really, like. So, so that was the best way I could communicate it to her that there, there should be no flowers, there should be no ruffles, it should be square shoulders, and yes, and is- you know dropped pants or whatever
1: that's true this is the military this (laughs) is the military what we're talking about because that at one well at least that's what Starfleet. that's one thing that now one thing you mentioned (laughs) that you like enterprise now now you're one of the few you're one of the few people that actually admit that you I, know, I, I, I met it too. I got kicked out of my apartment for saying I liked Enterprise. <laughs> my roommate is a huge
2: Trek fan. And they told me, You're you like Enterprise, out. Well, listen, out. first off, the face you're giving me is the exact same face Jonathan Frakes gave me when he found out that I liked Enterprise. He was really? like, no. Oh. he <laughs> kind of like side-eyed me and was like, mm, I don't know if I trust you anymore. <laughs> kind of looked over at Mary, and was like, What do you see in this guy? I don't get it but what? i love enterprise because enterprise is the show that you can't you can't like bury the bad episodes under a carpet and pretend they don't exist like like people love to do with next gen or deep space nine you know you can't pretend like it's like every episode is you know measure of a man or whatever like It's all there. The campiness, the fun, the goofiness, the silliness, the really, really gross, bad choices that they were making in the mid-2000s, you know? It's all there. You can't ignore it. You have to accept the good with the bad, with the silly, with the stuff that doesn't make sense. And I think that's, like, in a way, to me, it's it's the most pure, you know? Because you can't pick and choose. You can't say, like, oh, well, like, this is the good season, and that season, like, it doesn't count, (laughs) you know? No. Um, okay, so, but, but, you, but you,
0: but you tweeted that you were gonna rewatch because Mary was off working the finale of Enterprise, which <laughs> features Jonathan Frakes, and I imagine that that's a controversial choice. I, I all I said to you was, "Don't, please don't." I, I mean, so I love bad. the, I love the idea of them setting up the future, but it just, it was so bad. But,
2: listen, it is, it is Star Trek though. You know what I mean? Like you can't pretend like that doesn't exist. Like you can pretend that other season finales don't exist. You know, nobody talks about the Voyager season finale. Nobody, you know, everyone's like, Oh, the enterprise or the, the next gen season finale is perfect. We don't talk about the A season though, but the next, the finale is (laughs) perfect, you know, but, but this it's like the finale is, you just can't look away. Like that is, Star Trek, when it's like crashing and burning at its very best, and <laughs> and it's I I love it. You know, it just is like you you. There's no hiding. There's no hiding it.
1: And just for the record, I enjoyed Enterprise. Good. I Good. liked it for what That's it. What you I liked it for what it was, but also for the story that it was telling. Because to me, it mirrored the time frame that it was portraying. Because it was literally those years after First Contact when. All of a sudden, the all of a sudden, a humanity which had messed it, which had bungled itself in so many ways, has been given this second chance, and they still can't quite get out of its own way. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah, I love it.
0: Would you say that? Um... Discovery is now your favorite show
2: since you've yes been on I it. mean of, of course <laughs> your wife of is, on Discovery it? is uh, <laughs> of course my my true favorite you know there's I love it so much and i i I just have a really lucky relationship and special relationship because I know the people who work on it and the actors so well, you know a bunch of them were at our wedding together, you know so. Just Which having was a really beautiful, by the way. If anyone has access
0: to the New York Times, look up their wedding, the pictures, the story. Just beautiful. Beautiful. I agree. We had a really good time. By the way, I've also been in touch with your dad, who <laughs> is from my neighborhood. He grew up here, went to school where my kids go to school. I mean, I just feel like like we're cousins or something. It's just so funny. Um your dad is wonderful, your mom is wonderful. Um I know he's not the biggest Star Trek fan, but you must have like a whole fan club of your own now just in your like family uh, in your family group.
2: Yes, you know my well my mom is sort of like counts as like 40 fans in one so that that definitely counts as one and and you know while my dad isn't necessarily the same level of fanaticism as my mom he very much is uh, allows you know figurines to go he's the, very much the supportive spouse he he handcrafted a uh, uh a Star Trek menorah using Pez dispensers um, and I remember in 2012, we went to a convention in Chicago and the sort of trade off that they made was like, we would go out to Chicago, his family out there. So we'd like see his family, which my mom would, was like, you know, like I'll do it, but we're, we're going to, we're going to the Star Trek convention too. And that was like the first time my dad put on a uniform at the convention. He started a taking, picture. pic- <laughs> yes, he <was> taking pictures <laughs> with some Borg there. We got a picture taken with Patrick Stewart. So that was a very um, healing moment for our family. <laughs> oh, great.
1: That must have been... Oh, by the way,
0: I'm taking a look at some of these wedding pictures real quick. Jeez.
2: It was Just, a good wedding. This
0: was, this oh, was... The line that stays with me, and I, I cried talking to Mary about it, um, that no matter how far apart we are, uh, we'll always be bound, always be tied. It's very, very Jewish. Um, you know, I'm Jewish, so... <laughs>
2: You know, it, well, you know, I, we we believed that for about two years while she was shooting when I would stay in New York. And then about halfway through the second year, I thought, fuck this. I'm moving to
0: Toronto. <laughs> uh, so, t- so tell us now, what is it you do? Because uh, on another podcast, Mission Live, that you were on last night, you describe your daily activity as sitting on the couch waiting for Mary to come home and determining whether Mary is Killy or Tilly as to her mood Um, and you mentioned that she had been practicing her killie moves around the house
2: yeah well when she was doing a lot of killie work she would constantly bring home these wooden katanas to practice her sword fighting and so she'd be like look at my moves and then just start swinging these katanas all over the house so we have like three or four katanas in the house, which makes me extremely uncomfortable in case I, you know, forget to do the dishes or whatever. But, um, yes. So I kind of just hang out now while she has to go to work and, uh, you know, I make sure that the house is clean and I make sure that I, uh, get to, you know, sit around and look out the window and just sort of wait like a puppy for her to come home. Um, but I spend most of my time actually, well, not most of it's a lot of my time, uh, working on our Dungeons and Dragons game, which is like, you know, the next level of nerddom that uh, me and her and Anthony Rapp and Blue and Ian and Emily Coots all play together, um, which has just been so, so much fun. And, you know, hopefully Anthony, I, and and the rest of the group has sort of been working towards um, getting a live stream, like charity event going. So hopefully that will kind of pick up some steam in the new year and that will kind of be where I put my energy and then, you know, for the rest of the time, just kind of staying inside and not getting COVID.
1: <laughs> now, there's something I do want to know. Okay. During the Captain Killy phase, has there, <laughs> e- have you ever just been around the house and all of a sudden hear, Terra Firma? <laughs> <laughs> has I, th-
2: I think the misunderstanding that people have is that they think Mary is Sylvia Tilly and that she's playing Killy, and I think it's much closer to the reverse, where Mary is Killy, and when she hops on set, she's playing Sylvia Tilly. So oh. I'm much, I'm, I'm very much ready to, you know, handle Killy when she comes home. Uh, it's, it's much closer to our home life, and we like it that way.
1: We're hearing that sound, which means
2: it's time to go to break, pay a couple
1: bills, but when we come back. Noah is a fan of baseball, but not necessarily a fan of a certain icon in the sport. We're gonna have that and more when we come back. I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb, along with Don Ennis. This is The Transporter Room. We'll be back.
0: You're in The Transporter Room. Welcome back. Carly Chardonnay Webb is my co-host. Our guest, Noah Averback katz who played Ren the Andorian on Star Trek Discovery until he was blown to bits. And now,
2: <laughs> he's- just he gotta bring his- it in that, don't you? <laughs> That's wanna-
0: rubbing <laughs> it in. I was very yeah. upset. I was very upset. And he's continuing in his ongoing role as um, Mary Wiseman's husband. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I don't get blown to bits in that role, huh? I was going to say, is your contract been picked up? Are you, uh... (laughs) I got renewed for another season. (laughs) Renewed for another season. That's fantastic. That's
1: good to know. We are happy about that.
0: (laughs) So let's just, I want to make sure I cover all the Star Treks. Is there uh, any inside information you can give us in terms of what's happening in season four? Or have you been keeping yourself in the dark because you're such a fan?
2: That's a great question. You know, I early on, I would have Mary tell me what happens in every single episode, and then I started reading all the scripts off of her computer, and I actually found that it really diminished my enjoyment of watching the show because i would constantly be you know looking for what i wanted to happen or like oh why did they cut this and use this instead or oh like i didn't imagine it this way so i actually stopped like being super involved and keeping up with this story. And I found like, like I didn't read the season finale. So watching it, it was completely new to me. I was watching it as a fan and I just really have so much fun and I feel really lucky to be able to get to kind of, you know, be on both sides of the fence in that way, both get to like, you know, be a part of the team and know everybody and talk, you know, uh, talk about it and everything, but also get to watch the show as a fan. So we're up here in season four, it's being shot i i know very very little but enough to get everyone in trouble so i won't say anything but yeah uh, you know it's <laughs> yeah uh but i i try i actually do try not to get too much you know foreknowledge of the stuff because i i like watching it i like being surprised i like you know not knowing how it's going to turn out or what what twists and turns are going to take and It's just, it's just so fun to watch it. And it also gives, um, it gives Mary a fresh set of eyes on it too. Cause when you're working on it and you watch the episode, it's, it's almost like watching like, like, chunks just sort of shoved together you know i was there for that day and that happened first but then they put it back together and it's hard to actually get a cohesive picture you know you're like oh i had a really good set day on set that day and i had a really bad day on set that day and sort of colors your view and i can kind of step in and say like i know that's what you're seeing and i get it but like the episode was really good and i thought you were amazing
0: I mean, it is one thing I think fans don't understand that they don't film these things as if it's like writing a book from beginning to end. They film in sequences wherever they have to go, if they're in Iceland or if they're on a studio set, they're filming segments as they need to be based on where they are, right?
2: Especially this year with COVID, it's really jumping around. You know, so there's been a lot of necessary delays and everything from, you know, like building the sets is taking longer because you can't have as many people working on a single set. So they're really having to to jump around almost episode to episode this year. So yeah, it, it's it's definitely, you know, kind of all over the place.
0: And one of the things that listeners of this show know we talked a lot about was Picard. And I'm not sure if you've seen all the episodes. I imagine as a fan you have. But that's such a different type of show in terms of it really had more of an adult theme and almost more of a, um, a contemplative, uh, a, a much more mature theme. I was wondering what your thoughts were at having been a fan of The Next Generation and then moving on to uh, Picard.
2: Um yeah you know i I feel like I feel like you know all of the kind of new world of Star Trek sort of has to be taken in comparison to one another, not in comparison in in conversation with with one another. you know, so you know how what I think about, it, I think, like you know, how is Picard different than discovery? in the way that it's like him like building his little sort of ragtag crew as opposed to discovery being like part of the larger federation and constantly even in this season you know trying to rejoin a larger sort of identity and ideals, whereas Picard is about sort of like the minutia, these these very individual people with their individual stories and less of sort of this overarching ideal that they all are sharing and working together, at least from the outset. And I think that extends too into, you know, the newer shows as well. Strange New Worlds, I think, is going to kind of have its own feel that is in conversation with Picard, in conversation with Discovery, and I think, you know, even even lower decks and the Nickelodeon show and and possibly Section 31, you know, they all have to kind of fill in a different niche. Um and, you know, sometimes it's great and sometimes it's less great, but I think the idea is just like being able to give a lot of different versions of Star Trek, a lot of different options of Star Trek, so that way You know, for older fans, you know, fans who have been around forever, they can kind of find their way in. And for newer fans, you know, fans who, you know, don't have an attachment to... I I think a lot about, you know, fans who were born in... 2005 you know they don't know who Spock is you know they they know who Spock is but they're not going to be like oh my god look I'm so excited you know they don't know who who you know all these little things are in the same way and that's great you know but they have to have a way into the show and I think having these kind of different takes on Star Trek, these different ways in on Star Trek gives a lot of variability in how people can connect to it and make sure that, you know, in 10, 15, 20 years, people are still going to Star Trek conventions.
1: I think it's a lead pipe since that people will, especially with these new shows. The one thing I like, the one thing I like about a lot of these new series is that they're, they're actually showing the frailty of Starfleet.
2: Mm-hmm. I and that's something mm-hmm. I
1: like they they all have different variations on okay how how did Starfleet get it wrong? Where did Starfleet get it wrong for i mean in the case of discovery, it's like one it's Starfleet had already started going on the wrong path, and then in the thirty second century really it went off the it went off the rails. Picard looks at i mean the one scene the interview on the first episode of Picard set a tone for me saying. It, because I left Starfleet because it wasn't Starfleet. And mm-hmm. Lower Decks is all about tweaking the nose of this big organization, but realizing that, oh, God, Starfleet is screwed up right, left, up, down, and center <laughs> to, the, to the point where Starfleet is screwed up to the point where somebody like a Beckett Mariner can kind of can kind of like slither through Starfleet and actually be a help of Starfleet by showing like, no, Starfleet's full of it in a lot of ways.
0: The only caveat I have to that is in the original series, every week, Captain Kirk wanted to do something and some stupid admiral would say, Nope, you can't do that. And Kirk would do whatever he wanted anyway. Yeah. And they would go, Okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh no, Kirk. Oh no, Kirk. It um no, in in um which one is that? In under I think it was the the one where the Klingons were where Kirk where the Klingon got murdered. That movie. The title is escaping me right now. The movie where the
0: Captain- Klingon got murdered?
1: Yeah. David
0: Warner plays a Klingon ambassador in oh, oh, Undiscovered Country. Undiscovered perfect Country. Yeah, I thought so. David Warner, yes, who I love.
1: Admiral Kirk, Admiral Kirk ignores the chain of command
0: whenever it suits him. Well. Perfect <laughs> perfect description for Admiral James Tiberius Kirk. <laughs> I, I believe in the. I believe in that motto. My, my motto in life has always been, um, it's easy to ask for forgiveness and permission. <laughs> Probably got it from him. It's That's Michael true. Burnham's motto as well, you know? Yeah. Yes, it's I noticed that, fitting. I noticed that. Although That's... she's very good at the neck pinch. I. It's twice now, if you've seen her do that, right? <laughs> she's a pro. Sonek, we can do that in real life, too. What? <laughs> <laughs> <Run! laughs> okay, so let's just go through. Tell us a little bit about everybody. Tell us about Doug. Um, okay. Uh, I'd Doug, love to know about a little bit, just a little vignette about everybody.
2: Doug is so sweet, such like a lovey, sweet, sweet man. You know, there's also something which is um, David Tomlinson, who plays Linus. Uh, we were all at a party. And David does a lot of prosthetic works and Doug, you know, is obviously like this prosthetics God. Um, And he came up to me after I had done, you know, a while of friend, he's like, so you're, you're one of us. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, everybody who can do prosthetics is an insane person. And I looked over at Doug and he's like, you know, doing some like wacky moves with his crazy (laughs) lanky arms. And I'm like, Oh, totally. Like that makes total sense. Yeah. I'm absolutely. So like, he's, You know, he's like like this amazing, sweet man, but you can you just have to be insane to do what he does, especially, you know, he's like, you know, he's he's walking in these insane shoes and it's just crazy what he does. So he's very sweet, but he's absolutely insane. There's no way to do what he does if you're not insane. Um anthony and wilson i'm 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 packaging them even though i'm sure they would loathe that but it's amazing to get to have space
0: dad the space booze
2: space space booze we have space space dad and space poppy um (laughs) it's amazing to get to have like two like legends in the way that they are and like you know activist legends on the show and then to partner them with Uh, And they also have such like a very, they have a very different approach. You know, Uh, Wilson is like very much like passionate. I mean, they're obviously both passionate, but like, you know, Wilson is like really, really feeling it. And Anthony is sort of a little bit more analytical, a little bit more targeted in his, his, his sort of approach, but just having them together is just so incredible. And then partnering them with Blue and Ian is just like, sort of just kind of blows my entire mind because Blue and Ian are two incredible people. They're incredible actors. You know, I think that their characters are going to be the way in for so many new Star Trek fans. And I don't even, I don't actually think Star Trek, you know, capital S Star Trek really realizes how lucky they are to have both of these people working on the show uh, because they're both incredible human beings. They're going to kind of reach out and just like bring in a whole new, You know group of younger fans and more than anyone i think i've ever met in my life i think they really kind of live and embody and practice like true star trek ideals in a way that i find very inspiring and just i'm just sort of in awe of both of them and the children shall lead last week's guest on the transporter room was kate gardner
0: a writer for Star Trek.com, a non-binary person. And they said that they learned about um, Blue being non-binary before most of us did, being, mm-hmm. being an insider at Star Trek.com. So for me, I'm a journalist. I have to tell stories, right? When I found out about this uh, lawsuit for USAPL um, powerlifting, I was immediately like, oh, we've got to tell the world. No, it's embargoed until a certain time. I can't tell the world. My question to you is, When it comes to those kind of things, I mean, you shot season three a year ago.
2: Yes. How do you keep that to yourself for so long? (laughs) It was it was torture. (laughs) It sucked. It sucked. It really sucked. Especially knowing that I was gonna die. I was like, I was actually really nervous and kind of like a pretty uncomfortable like, you know, interacting with people because people are like, oh, you know, how long are you gonna stick around? What are you here? And I was like, I really don't want to like have somebody like on the internet be like, you, you piece of shit. I thought you were staying and like you lied to me. You know, I mean everyone has been, you know, really, really gracious. So like thankfully that didn't happen. But it was really, really difficult to keep that to myself. Obviously, like I kind of told my friends and showed pictures and whatever. Um, but it was it was not easy to keep the story to myself, to keep the death to myself, to not sort of like tip my hand that like, hey, I'm not coming back, don't get too attached, stuff like that. Um, and there are things that I know, that you know, just as a fan who who would be interested in Star Trek, you kind of speculate like, oh, maybe this will happen, maybe that will happen. And for you know, I'll sort of like be in Star Trek tw- Twitter or Reddit, and sometimes I'll be like, oh, good, good guess, that's a really good guess. And other times I'll be like, oh, you're going to be so disappointed, not even close, not. Even close. <laughs> All the people
0: who thought Carl was Q. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yes, yeah, so I was just like, me? no, not happening. Sorry. <laughs> so like, there's a lot of stuff where I know that those kind of things, like less about the minutia line to line, but like the overarching things where I'm just like, Ugh, I don't know what to say because I really don't want you to like go on this whole path where you're like, and then this happens and that happens and this, and you're like way over there. And meanwhile, I'm like, no, it's, it's not, that's not going to happen. I'm sorry. Come back to me. Come back. But, uh, you know, it's, it's a blessing and a curse. I imagine there must be stuff that Mary feels like she can't tell you. Does that ever get in the way? <laughs> oh no Mary would Mary would tell me anything, especially if she's frustrated she will she will let me know, you know, if there's something going on. There's stuff where I am asking Mary be like, don't tell me, I don't want to know what happens uh, or where i'll I'll like really try and like scrape the answer out i I think you know it's this weird thing which is almost which I didn't understand until I was working on the show, which is like you work i I. I, I you know, these hours are crazy. The work schedule is insane. You know, you're working from six earlier from, from three AM on Monday till, you know, twelve oh one or three in the morning Friday. And in a way, like you're just sort of so completely inundated with Star Trek information, with sort of everything of the story that like techno battle. Home, Exactly. You like really want to leave it behind in a way where it's like I'm like, tell me about the transporter today. And she's like, Shut up. You know, I need, I want a sandwich.
1: After this, what what do you what are what are some things you want to do in your career next? What's the next thing for you?
2: Yeah, you know, I think it would be great to get back on Star Trek. <laughs> uh, you know, well You have a uh, one Trek mind, don't you? Exactly. Yeah. I mean this you know, in a lot of ways, like I don't actually like really consume a lot of TV movies that's that much stuff like I, i'm not you know voraciously like obsessed like this is really like my main sort of like pop culture thing so having having done this it feels like oh well now i can kind of do anything i want because nothing will be as good as this so i can really take the pressure off of everything you know i i, I I'm a type 1 diabetic. I think if you follow me on Twitter, I did kind of big fundraising thing, getting involved with Type 1 International, which is a uh, like an international organization that pushes for insulin availability advocacy legislation, especially here in the States. So having gotten involved with them and and communicating with them and, and sort of getting more involved with them is something that I'm really, really excited about. And I hope to sort of... Um, you know, maybe translate that into a short film or movie, you know, so that would be something that could be really, really, really cool and and special and unique. You know, it's just, I think a lot of people are realizing like, Oh, you know, maybe I could tell this story that only I know, or only my little community knows that people have sort of been trying to tell for me for a while, or just have been ignoring. Um, And I think, you know, the more specific those kind of stories are, the more other people can relate to them. You know, I think a lot of people not a lot of people, but some people, when I kind of put this fundraiser out, we like, well, hey, you know, you're talking about type one diabetics. What about type two? Or like, well, you know, like there's all these other issues and this kind of stuff. And and I just sort of take that approach when it comes to these things of sort of the rising tide lifts all the boats, especially in this, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I just think like bringing more attention or more compassion or more understanding to, you know, one of these. Issues, whether they be trans rights or you know insulin advocacy or Medicaid for all or whatever, uh, makes a difference for everyone. So I, I I hope you know pandemic willing that could kind of be a, a thing I I put my my energy towards in the future.
1: Well, I can tell you, especially as a competitive athlete, that type of that type of advocacy has made a huge difference because of two two groups. I've had opportunities to be able to have opportunities to be close to and have proximity to one is team team type one the cycling team which mm-hmm. are most with the team team's majority type one diabetics, and the second one to have used to cover indycar in my career and having a type one diabetic not only be on the circuit but be one of the top drivers on it in charlie kimball mm-hmm. yeah. those stories need to be when those stories get told a lot of there's a lot of positive response that comes out, especially in the medical community and yeah. towards um and towards health justice communities towards this. So, no, that good. on If you do that, good on you.
2: Well, you know, I think
1: about that.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And, you know, I think like when you're talking about health, health justice and that, that kind of stuff, it's also, you know, really important to keep in mind you know who's telling the story when you have a lot of these larger organizations like JDRF or ADA telling the story you know they're telling them for a audience who is usually white who has medical insurance who is looking for lifestyle improvement and i think you know what What I like about type one international and what I like about sort of this new way of advocacy is taking the focus away from people who sort of have the care that they need and bringing it towards people who, you know, are rationing insulin, who are choosing between insulin and groceries, and especially shining a light on how the uh the the care has differed for you know specifically black and latino communities as opposed to white communities especially in terms of diagnosis especially in terms of dka when they get to the hospital and especially in terms of how COVID has affected black and latino people uh, with type 1 diabetes so you know I, i i think it's it's important to kind of broaden the spectrum as well and uh and yeah, I'm just I just am excited about, you know, people getting involved, people who are much better at it than me. I, I just sort of see myself as like, you know, a, a bit of a, a loudspeaker for people who are much smarter and much better at this than I am.
0: Oh,
1: signal so boosting call... is never a bad thing. That's <laughs> right.
0: Now, we call this the Trans Room because as part of the Out Sports Network, we also talk about sports. And you told me that baseball is one of the sports you love. This week, a lot of people are singing the praises and mourning Tommy Lasorda. But in our community, the LGBT community, it's not exactly a a happy memory because Tommy Lasorda didn't acknowledge his son was gay or that he died of AIDS in 1991. Do you have any thoughts on Mr. Lasorda's
2: passing? Yeah, you know, I think i i was very into baseball i've sort of always been involved with baseball and i got really in when i was you know feeling very low and uh it 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 brought me a lot of comfort and i got really more and more into it and learn more about both the sort of economics of it and the history as well and i have just found you know the way that gay baseball players have been treated, you know, especially once they leave the sport. I think there's plenty of stories of how, you know, they have been pushed out, how, you know, they haven't been treated with any sort of respect, how, you know, the kind of current MLB is sort of brushing it under the table, pretending like they did everything perfect. You know, we have Jackie Robinson day so we can pat ourselves on the back. And I think Tommy Lasorda is this perfect example where you have his son who died of AIDS in 91, and there's been no reconciliation. There's been no admitting, and it, it just is hugely disappointing to me, uh. You know, and and obviously, like you know, that's it sucks that Tommy Lasorda died. I guess, but like, to, to so many people, like he represents somebody in their life who refuse who refuse to recognize them, and you know, it's just disappointing. You know, it's been such a long time. You know, such a long time. And hopefully, you know, he did that in his personal life, but it would have made a huge difference to to do that publicly. Um, and it would have made a huge difference, you know, for the league itself, you know, which obviously has such a huge problem. You know, you still have all these kind of instances, you know. I I sort of when I was I was in baseball, you had the sort of Josh Hader stuff, you know, everyone's tweets getting dug up. And the I, the idea that MLB sort of handled that was so um, pathetic, I thought, you know, and it's obviously still a huge problem. And this sort of idea that it's, you know, there's like, I don't, it, it, it's a lot of like talking out of two sides of their mouths when you have, you know, pride nights or whatever. And then at the same time, there's no real, accountability uh in the league and obviously it's obviously there. you know maddox said it best like it's not a, did a, you know what would it be like if i had a gay teammate it's like i i know that you know i'm sure i did you know i obviously had a gay teammate um and across major league sports it's it's just a shame that there are so many people in the closet still you know
1: well, at least on the men's side of it i mean when i Certainly. think of tommy lasorda i'm conflicted because especially especially get, getting to meet and getting to interview him. And mm-hmm. really, and, and come on, it's Tommy Lasorda, a guy who lives and breathes and loves baseball. He's like a good day at the park, a bad day at the park's better than a good day anywhere else for him. But on the other hand, you think about you think about Tommy Jr. and you think about Glenn Burke. Mm-hmm. And for me, you think about Glen, and for me, that's the hard part of it. You think about Glenn Burke and here's this all-star player who, was was not out to the public. What was out to his team, and the team did not care, but the manager in the front office did. And you mm. push out this all star. Imagine if he could have came out, or if, imagine if a Jerry Smith in football could have came out. Yeah, I look at those. I'm just wondering, who's your team now?
2: Well, I'm a I'm a San Francisco Giants fan, so maybe there's that sort of Dodger rivalry playing into all of this. But yeah, I <laughs> grew up. Uh... I grew up a Giants fan. I've been a lifelong Giants fan. You know, I had those, those beautiful even years to, to kind of get me through some dark times.
1: Now, no, I'm, I'm, now before with enterprise, <laughs> I didn't mean to side eye you. Now I'm side eyeing you because of, because of, because of 2014, I am side eyeing you right now. That's fine. You side eye away. Because I'm, because in 2014, you went to the world series that, dang madison bum gardener <laughs> and and you beat the team i live die and bleed for the kansas city royals and yes, i have a friend
2: who's still angry about that i feel nothing i feel i've i brushed it off alex gordon can have it whatever no
1: actually no actually saw two game. one thing i've seen at least one game in every world series my favorite team has been a part of and it's one of the i'm not upset about that totally i'm upset about the loss but You have to hand it to Baumgartner. We couldn't hit him. Three games, and we couldn't hit him.
2: Couldn't hit the guy. It was quite a run. A very, very, very fun uh, run. Um, And then I just sort of – I just got so fed up with the sort of economic structure of it sort of turning into a giant hedge fund. Like, I love sort of like, you know, the sort of analytical nature of it, but when it sort of becomes processed into – extracting value from players' salary, it just, it kind of turns my stomach in a way. So I've sort of, I took a year off and, and uh, for the pandemic, because I thought the way that they handled this during the pandemic, during the start was just like so miserable. It just made me feel sick. So I had to kind of take a break from it. I
1: mean, I kind of, I, that's been kind of the whole idea with sports with me too. It's been, I mean, why are we playing? I mean, yeah. on one hand, I understand the whole well, we gotta get a little bit this isn't we're never gonna have total normalcy again. I'm just wondering you were talking about that earlier as far as the taping schedules and shooting schedules. What has it been like as a whole just dealing first, what has it been like dealing with dealing with the pandemic, knowing for example, if something happens to family, it's gonna be kind of difficult to get back to say a New York or a San Francisco from Toronto?
2: Yeah, you know, it's um it's difficult. It's difficult. It's scary, you know. It's um it's it's a strange thing because, you know, the show up here employs a lot of people, a lot of Canadians, you know. Um it's not just sort of like actors trying to get their paycheck. Like this this show is sort of this massive mainstay for the kind of Toronto economy and a lot of people rely on it to, you know, pay their bills. So, uh I think in a lot of respects, you know, CBS has really, really worked hard to do a ton of testing, to do a ton of protocols, but it's, you know, not a hundred percent and it's been, there's been some, some challenging moments. Um, and you know, in terms of going back and forth and trying to see people, it's, uh, it's it's it just I think I think actually you know my experience is is a, is is the same for a lot of people who are away from their families you know it just is a holding your breath at this point everybody's just kind of holding their breath until everyone mm-hmm. can get vaccinated because uh, you know yes you know some people have family but you know even if I was in New York my family is on in California so. It's. I, I think a lot of people have this experience of just trying to hold their breath and write it out and be as safe as possible. Now, Noah, a lot of people don't know this, but you're six foot three. Is that right? <laughs> this is true. Yes. So, Ferengi rolls are out. We've got that established. <laughs> I was saying, I think, I think I could be two Ferengi on top of each other with like a. <laughs> show.
0: But I bring this up because I want people to know that anybody who's fat shaming your wife or saying that her size is something that they should comment on. They're going to have to go through you. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> before they can before they can make a comment. Mary and I had a really emotional conversation about this. And you know, no woman on earth is the same as she was 4 years ago. So, mm-hmm. I just wondered how are you supporting Mary in this? It really came as a shock to me that that was something that not only was it it, it happening, but that I don't think fans realize you guys see all this stuff. It isn't like it's in a vacuum. And I'm always, supr- always surprised when some idiot tags one of the actors on Twitter about how much they don't like something the actor did.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting because I don't think people realize, you know, I think people are used to thinking of people on TV as not real people and, or they're thinking of people with celebrity who have like, you know, a million followers and it's, you know, whatever, it's just like inundated. And it's run by a social media manager, but like not just Mary, but everybody on the sets reads what you write on Twitter, you know? And, uh, and it's, it, especially, you know, the the comments are really, really mean and hurtful and designed to hurt and disgusting. Um and it's just disappointing. You know, it's disappointing, especially uh when, you know it's disappointing for me as a Star Trek fan to say, hey, I'm so excited about you getting to be a part of this fandom and that is the response that she gets. Um it's been, it's, it's really disheartening. It makes it harder to go to work. Um, and, you know, I, I think that, you know, Mary is amazing and I'm incredibly proud of her. She's incredibly strong, incredibly resilient. Um, and I think she has, she knows that, you know, Whatever body she is in is perfect, whether it's the body four years ago or whether it's the body now or whether it's the body in four years from now, you know, and and I'm on board with that. Uh, And he's a good husband.
0: (laughs) Any more more like you at home? Any more like you at home? Yeah, well. Uh, need, and, this is where cloning needs to come into play yes here. exactly
2: i want to know of my own I'm on my own, uh, own and uh and, well you know just get on star trek and they'll come out of the woodwork i promise <laughs> um but you know and, and and also i'm i i just think that you know I, i'm just i'm just really proud of her because i think that she is taking control of of how, how her story is being told. And, you know, the one, the flip side that I think I also want to say is, you know, I I've talked to a ton of people so far and I can't tell you how many people have said, Oh, like, let me show you my daughter, you know, this is her stuffed doll named Tilly, or I'm so excited, you know, <laughs> or, you know, how many, how many women have said, you know, I, I, I feel like, you know, I don't, I'm not trying to speak for anybody, obviously, but there is sort of, especially, you know, for for sort of the next gen generation, it was a sort of safe haven for women where Crusher and Troy, you know, not always perfect, of course, but got a different level of respect than you were seeing other places on TV. And I feel like so many women who I've talked to and my mom is included really saw themselves in that show. And I think now, you know, they're not just seeing their idea of themselves, they're actually seeing themselves and a ton of people have said to me you know that has just meant so much to me it's so much meant it means so much to me that like there's somebody who i can cause play now and feel proud and strong and comfortable with um so you know there is that side of it but there is also this other side which is just really um appreciative and and mary gets to see those comments too which is which is really special and and i get to see them as well which just means so much to me as well knowing that you know she goes to work and works her ass off and you know does all this and, and it really means something to somebody out there
1: speaking as a fan isn't that isn't that the real strength of star trek that that whole concept that we're all in this universe and that representation matters. I mean, I look, at, I look at it from my own life, is that Star Trek showed me, Star Trek was the show that showed me that there is a future and you will be a part of it. Mm-hmm. From mm-hmm. seeing Uhura in the original series to seeing Dory LaForge in Next Generation, from seeing the great Paul Warfield as a flag officer in Wrath of Khan. Seeing those things. Don't, don't you think that's just the real strength and the real in a sense the real point of Star Trek to begin with.
0: And look now, we have a black woman captain. Yeah. I mean, we've really we come on the night, baby. Yeah.
2: yeah. Yeah. It's and and you know, it's exciting because uh, you know, it's it's there's 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 a lot of good representation behind the camera as well, you know. Uh a lot of black writers and a lot of black filmmakers are helping tell the story, which I find very exciting. Um, and they haven't um you know, they haven't watered Sinequa down. You know, they haven't told her not to be herself.